Fig Jam Podcast, Episode 1. Catherine, and welcome to episode one of our Fig Jam podcast, where we'll be discussing why so many millennials and other generations alike seem to have to compete for how well they look after themselves after killing it all day, studying, working, looking after a family, whatever you do. I don't care how many rose petaled baths you have with a glass of wine in your hand, you're probably burning out. Sometimes the glamorous, sensationalized self-care mentality just doesn't cut it. There seems to be a genuine disconnect in our modern society between what self-care is and what it should be. Self-care isn't just the stuff you do to come back from totally wrecking yourself all week. Instead, it should be the things you do to not lose yourself in your day-to-day, to keep yourself grounded and moving forward successfully. Wrapping your head around what self-care is and how it is implemented is a really critical part to understanding and implementing self-care into your daily life. And no, I'm not going to tell you to go get a facial at a spa every week. We're going to unpack self-care as a strategy for daily implementation, that yucky stuff that needs to happen every single day. And we're going to break it down into bite-sized parts to make sure that you really understand what we're trying to get at here. We're going to first talk about the sensationalized nature of self-care in our current world. We're going to talk about why we think we need so much self-care and why is everyone working themselves so hard. Then we're going to talk about what does your body and mind actually need in a self-care routine. Um, And then I'm going to share with you my five top tips for the basic self-care to meet the needs of your body and mind so you can keep showing up in bigger and better ways every day. Let's get to it. So sensationalization of self-care is something that absolutely grinds my gears. I absolutely hate it when I'm scrolling through my socials on a Sunday, Monday, any day really. And I see people doing glamorous and luxurious things on the top of a mountain and tagging it as self-care. Ugh. You don't need me to tell you that the world of social media is toxic or that you shouldn't believe everything you read. However, I feel like it's important to remind ourselves that social media usually only portrays perfection. Those imperfect days crying on the couch, throwing your guts up after some dodgy takeout or feeling too anxious to get out of the car never make it to social media. Neither does the basics of your self-care routine. It worries me that the coming generations, hello little Gen Zers or the iGen, are going to grow up with this sensationalized idea of what self-care is and what it should be and not implement holistic, well-rounded ways of looking after themselves to better achieve happiness and perform in their adult life. It's not that I hate people who engage in these activities or if you do, that's absolutely fine. But rather, more often than not, the people who engage in those really glamorous, superfluous activities are not truly executing self-care, which nourishes and supports their mental and physical well-being. The expectation that you need to spend all weekend in a spa or on a mountain or at the beach is unrealistic at best and is not a requirement for you to be making sure that you're keeping yourself well. These trends perpetuate the idea that self-care is something which needs to take a lot of time and really take you away from your normal life to make you look after yourself. And I don't know about you, but if you so desperately need to escape your day-to-day life that you need to do stuff like that so often, perhaps you need to take a closer look at what you're doing on the daily. I'm going to call it 
I think that the hashtag self-care Sunday is really toxic. Self-care should be about supporting and nurturing yourself every single day of the week rather than dedicating one day to it every once in a while. I also think hashtagging it, posting it all over social media is giving people the wrong idea of what self-care should be and what it is. But I guess the follow-on question from that is why do we need so much self-care? What are we doing every day? What are we doing in our daily lives in the modern world to make us feel like we need to go to such lengths to make sure that we're looked after. Is it simply because of the glamorization of self-care or is there more going on? So I'm going to talk to you from a millennial point of view because that's the generation I grew up in. And I think that for us, there is a really huge impact of what our self-care strategies are and by and large we're made fun of for having really glamorous self-care needs you know that whole avocado on toast scenario where uh, millennials never be able to afford a house because they're buying avocado on toast Um, and all the millennials are saying but it's our self-care and I think that in other generations self-care wasn't made to be as important um, or as prominent or at the forefront of everyone's discussion as it is in the millennial generation. There seems to be a lot more discussion about it. And, you know, when I talk to people in my, my parents or grandparents generation, there is a lot more of an emphasis on we get in, we work hard, we go home, we relax. And, and although that relaxed component really is the self-care component, that's not what it's sold as. So I can't really tell you whether or not there's more going on for our generation with actual tangible data. And so the inner scientist in me really gets quite anxious about that. Um, But I do feel like there is a pressure which everyone is feeling. Um, So both millennials and other generations, and that is to perform and work harder than ever before. I definitely feel right now in our society We are being told we need to work harder, meet bigger objectives, do more things, be more, show up more. And all of that is taking a toll. Business objectives and governmental agendas are at the forefront of everyone's conversation and priority at the moment, or at least it seems to be. There's very little room for us to seem to consider individual objectives or goals. And what that means is like if you are working for a big corporation, your own goals or objectives or well-being never seems to be the priority. I know it's a common trend on a lot of the social media groups. I mean, where people will complain about um, the organization they work for, they feel bad for calling in sick because the organization will make them feel bad. And I think that that is a really interesting side to this cultural shift I'm explaining around business goals and objectives, i.e. having people there to serve customers or to work with clients is more important than the individual's health and well-being. And that is a really interesting culture that is perpetuating this idea of sensationalized self-care. So because of all of that, everyone is working so hard and long that our daily self-care just doesn't seem to be an option. And when opportunities for our self-care do come up, it's a go big or go home type situation, which is why we're seeing so many people do this really huge blowout times of self-care because what else are you going to do? You don't have time every day to implement self-care or you don't think you have time every single day. I'm going to tell you that you do a little later on. So 
speaking from our millennial viewpoint, there's absolutely a culture in today's society that millennials are not hardworking um, to get to where they want to go. There is a subculture of belief in the older generations that millennials are entitled, pretentious and laid back when it comes to working. And this means that they should be grateful for any and all of the crappy work they get handed. But I call bullshit. There are so many millennials who are hardworking, determined and polite. However, due to this belief in society, there's a complete disrespect for us in the workforce. Now, I'm not saying every millennial is like me, not at all. We have our fair share of drop kicks in our generation too. But a generalization that all young workers are like that means that the level of respect is very low in the workplace, which also means that younger workers feel as though they have to work harder to prove that they are worthy. And in the social media age where recognition is everything, it's almost like pushing shit uphill. What I'm getting at here, and I know I went a little bit off tangent, is that, you know, Working harder doesn't always get us the same outcomes. Working longer doesn't necessarily mean we get better outcomes. All it means is that we're killing ourselves for something at work or in our family life or to meet expectations that may or may not even be there. And what that then does is it really depletes our cup. So our cup would normally be full and we're really depleting it the harder and longer we're working or the more we're trying to show up to those expectations. And what that does is it means that you need bigger and better ways of demonstrating your self-care to refill your cup because you need bigger stuff to put in there. The really funny thing is you don't really need to kill yourself to prove the boomer haters that you're working hard and able to make change. And you don't need to feel guilty for taking time each day to yourself. Why? Because self-care is equals sustainability. It means that you'll be able to do the job you're passionate about for longer. It means you'll be, you'll be able to have more ability to think creatively and channel your problems into solutions. It means you'll be more successful in your personal and professional life. Let me tell you about a time when I did not embrace a self-care attitude. I was on my first placement for my master's of social work qualification. And I was working for an organization who had agreed to support me through my placement, which was amazing. And they're a really great organization to work for. And I went as a bit of a fly in fly out worker. So I refer to that as a FIFO worker, um, up to North Queensland. And so I was working, um, in the child protection space. So in a social worky type context and which is not very good for your self care anyway, but I went there with such great intentions. And, and, you know, I did like on reflection, it was one of the most changing probably experiences of my career. But when I got there, I really didn't have a self-care plan like I should have. So I have always had a self-care routine. You know, I, on Thursday nights, I go and have, I go spend um, an evening with my friends and I play trivia and I will do... Um, let's, I'll do yoga sometimes. I'll often exercise. I might read books. I might do some art and craft. So I have all these things that I do for self-care, but suddenly when I'm in another city where I don't know anyone and I don't have any hobbies with me. So obviously I'm flying into another city only a couple of days a week. I didn't take all my crafty stuff or my books or anything like that. And it's really hard to not 
work all the time. So I found that because I wasn't really strict with myself in setting boundaries, I was working from about 7am till 7pm most days. Now, that is partially my fault because of not implementing my self-care routine and my boundaries and all of those sort of things. But I also think that there was a really big culture of Catherine needs to support what what's happening here. And so I know that there was there was an expectation that I was there to help and support and I really wanted to live up to that expectation even though and it was probably more so than anything else it was an expectation I put on myself. And so because of that expectation I put on myself I was working so hard to make sure that that was successful. But I probably could have done the same amount of work and the same amount of support working eight till five. So what I'm trying to get at is that it working harder does not necessarily mean getting better results. You could work 24 seven and still have mediocre results. And most of the time that's because you're not doing self-care well. And for me, when I was up North, it was absolutely the case. So I actually did have some really, really great outcomes despite my um, hard working. But when I reflect on it, a lot of the time my great outcomes would happen or my great ideas would happen on a Monday or Tuesday after I would return from spending the weekend in Brisbane with my friends and family. Um, And part of what I didn't realize when I was up north was the emphasis I place on spending time with loved ones to replenish my cup and have my self-care that I needed. So on that note, what do you actually need for self-care? What is actually the things that you need to implement day in, day out to make sure you're having a good self-care routine? So you really need dedicated practices, behaviors, and thought processes, which promote your mental and physical well-being. So that's a huge sentence. So let's just talk about that a little bit. So when I say dedicated practices, I mean things that you do, habits that you identify, things um, that you can come back to every day that you are doing to nourish and support your soul. You want behaviors that are also going to do that. So you want to make sure that your behavior around food and nutrition and your behavior around exercise and your behavior around money is going to be really supportive of yourself. You also want thought processes which promote mental and physical well-being. So that means that addressing that negative self-talk that you have going on and switching it out to positive self-talk is going to be really important. So what does this actually look like? Well, I'm telling you right now that things that support and nourish your soul, your mind, your body are not necessarily the big glamorous things that we talked about earlier. I'm a big advocate that sometimes doing the dishes or cleaning the house is self-care because nothing is worse than you not doing the dishes the night before and coming down in the morning and seeing a sink full of dirty dishes. So in that way, you are adopting a behavior that will 
promote and nurture your soul and well-being. Now, it doesn't need to be glamorous or insta-worthy to be self-care. It could be really simple. It could be that you are just addressing your negative self-talk in your head. It could be that you are implementing a run into your routine. And all of those things are not going to be something that you're just going to rush out and post on social media. God knows I don't post a picture of my clean sink when it is clean, that is, um, on social media all the time for everyone to see. That's just not something that immediately jumps to our heads when we think of social media. What to be really careful of in your self-care is that cheap thrills don't equal long-term highs. So your day-to-day, your in-between type stuff is going to keep you on that positive trajectory towards ongoing great self-care. But if you're just every now and then pulling out the stops to do a whole big thing, your soul, your body, your mind is going to want that every time to feel that same level of comfort and security. So you want to implement things that are going to make you happy every day rather than just blow it all on one day a week. Because you want to be happy all the time, not just sometimes. So when you think about your self-care plan, before I give you my recommendations, I want you to think about a couple of different aspects of your life. So your body needs exercise. So you need to implement some type of exercise. Now, I'm not saying you need to go and lift all of these weights at the gym. Hell no. You just need to have something that's going to help you stretch, be fit, be mobile, something like that. It's going to help you through. Now, your body also needs nutrition. So that means after you hit the gym or after you go to your yoga studio, don't just stop at McDonald's. You need to be making sure you're having nutritious, beautiful meals to nourish your body. Now, I'm not afraid of a bit of oil. Everyone should have a little bit of olive oil in their life. And I'm not saying that you need to go super healthy or carb free or anything like that. But I'm just saying, making sure that you're eating the right amount of fruits and vegetables every day and that you're looking after yourself and having some of those vitamins in your diet is going to be really change making to supporting your body and also your mental health too, because some of those vitamins really do play a part in um, cognitive function, neuroscience, all of those sort of things. You also need to think about your mental well-being. And there are so many different components to this. So we'll just talk about a couple of them. So you need to make sure that you're using your brain for something that is creative. And now when I say creative, that could be literally anything. So I have friends who are creative writers. I have friends who um, create things. So they like make things. I have friends who are painters. I have friends who are actors. I have friends who are singers, people who play guitar, people who play drums, literally anything. But creativity in your mind will help develop neuroplasticity. It will help you focus on a different task, it will redirect your brain, and it will make you calmer. In particular, creative industries are one of the biggest ways that you can become more relaxed and release stress, and that's what we want. 
We also want to do something that's going to challenge you cognitively. Now, that could be one of your creative aspects. So if you are learning guitar, I can guarantee you that's going to be a challenging concept for your brain. If you're trying to write a story, that's going to be a challenging concept for your brain. If you don't yet have anything, one of my favorite things is to just for fun, learn languages and and absolutely am not proficient in any language at all. But it does switch on that bit of your brain that does that cognitive function. It also engages your brain in a new activity. And so for your brain to engage in a new activity, you are both developing yourself personally, but also allowing your body and your mind to reframe and redirect into a new activity, which is going to release the stress of the old activity. You also need in your mental well-being relational safety. Now, that is a really huge topic and we'll probably cover that in more detail another time. But when I talk about relational safety, you need to have relationships with your friends, your family, your colleagues that are positive and helpful. You don't want to be around people who are not going to be positive or helpful to your mental health. And so I'm sure that many of you do have those relationships, but you also need to make sure you're reaching out to them. Loneliness and isolation are two of the key components that will contribute to mental ill health and ongoing depression, anxiety. So making sure that you're connecting with friends and family is a really important part of ensuring you're doing mental health and also self-care. And that's really one of the big things that came out for me when I was in Townsville is I wasn't doing that as much because I didn't know anyone there. So the last thing that I believe your body needs and your mind needs is some boundaries. Now I have a brain like a firecracker and it will go and try and do 500,000 things at once. But my unglamorized self-care that I did when I came back from North Queensland was to put some really strong boundaries in place. I often won't answer the phone or not reach out to people who drain me when I'm consciously trying to look after myself because I want to make sure I'm being true to me. And I know this has its drawbacks, but I needed that strong boundaries in place to properly make sure that my cup is full before someone else is draining it for me. So you need to make sure you know your own body. Like you'll know if half an hour with a friend is actually stress inducing rather than um, stress relieving, or you'll know if exercise is really hard for you. So, you know, you're just going to do some stretches in the morning or or whatever, you know, your own body. So making sure that you tailor whatever program of self-care you are going to do to meet your own needs is going to be the kicker in this. By now, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, Catherine, so you tell me a bunch of stuff I shouldn't do. But what about the stuff I should be doing? Well, my top five strategies for self-care, and I am telling you, you could do these as soon as tomorrow. You could do it as soon as you finish listening to this podcast. You could do all of these things very, very quickly and also implement them into your routine incredibly fast. The first one is move your body. And now I've already spoken about the benefits of exercise for self-care, 
but I'm going to recommend yoga. Now, yoga is something that I know that a lot of people are like, oh, yoga, but it is amazing. It stretches and it elongates all of your muscles so that when you have the tension in your shoulders or you have bad posture, so your lower back's screaming out or you've been to the gym, so your quads are aching, it stretches all of that out for you, releases all of those toxins and also focuses on your breathing. So it does two things. It moves your body and it also gives you a kind of meditation session as well. And that is why it is such a powerful tool. You could do five minutes of yoga in the morning and you will see benefits. You could do 30 minutes if you have that much time. For me, I try and do about 10 minutes in the morning because I know that's the amount of time I can spare and that's the amount of time that helps me get through my day. My second strategy for self-care is to clean your house. So my grandparents both independently keep giving me these books about clean house, clean mind. And Marie Kondo taught us that that is absolutely true. If you have a cluttered, messy house, it is highly likely your mind is cluttered and messy also. Now, I'm not so great at making sure this one is done all the time, but it is something I do endeavor to do semi-regularly. So cleaning your house can be such a great self-care thing, even if that's just tidying the main spaces you're living in day in, day out. Number three strategy for self-care is boundaries. So implementing really strong boundaries with your work life, your personal life, your friends, your family. If you have that one friend who always comes to you just to vent and rant and rave and they are so draining that you just need to say, hey, I can't talk to you right now or hey, can we talk later? I've just got to focus on some me time. You need to be strong enough to implement those boundaries. And as soon as you start doing that, you will notice a weight lift off your shoulders. Number four strategy for self-care, talk to someone. Now, I'm going to talk about this in two different like avenues. So I absolutely feel that talking to friends, talking to family is a huge part of self-care. And I do that fairly regularly, like just about random stuff. And and I find I'm an extrovert. So I find that I get the energy off other people and it really helps me process what's going on. But if you're really struggling with self-care and you're really struggling with your mental health, you need to talk to someone who is a professional. And that doesn't need to be scary or embarrassing. In fact, I think actually mental health, seeking help for your mental health in this day and age is probably the most normalized thing that you can do. But talking to someone, anyone is going to be very important for you sustaining your self-care practice. Finally, number five of the strategies for self-care is take some time. So you take a break from whatever the thing is that keeps draining you, whether that's work, maybe take some days off, or if it's family life, maybe ask someone for a little bit of help and have some time to yourself, even if that's just a couple of hours. Time away can be really changing for perspective and also to get a bit of a groove back. 
when you take that time, I would really recommend that you seek some help. So talking to friends, family, um, ones that are going to be positive for you, not draining for you. Um, you could do some yoga, you could do any of those things that I've mentioned earlier what, during your time away, or you could totally hit it out and do glamorous self-care if you really needed to. Not recommended, but you could. So every single day, I want to challenge you to be doing at least two to three of that list. If you can do that, you will be doing so well. Implementing those simple strategies is going to be really helpful for you to maintain a self-care routine and a self-care balance that feels really natural and feels really easy to just align in with what your life is right now. So what are we going to do? We need to stop self-sensationalizing self-care. We need to stop pretending that our self-care is all roses and butterflies and rainbows. We need to know it's okay to have self-care that is personal and sometimes unglamorous. It's okay to just clean your house and feel like that was your self-care Sunday. It's okay to set some boundaries with people and not have them impinge on your self-care time. Your body and mind needs behaviors and conscious processes that support your well-being, not just indulge you luxuriously. You need things that support your mental and physical well-being. And if you're really stuck for ideas, don't forget to use the self-care five to make sure that you're implementing a great self-care routine every single day. That's all from me today. So make sure that you check out our Instagram page at figjamaus, F-I-G-J-A-M-A-U-S on Insta or Send us a message if you have any feedback.